The Terset University Department of Social Anthropology would like to thank Melvis Gray Mystery for helping to fund the research of Dr. Michael Goodman. Log, second interview with subject two from Monday the 10th of August, 2093. There is a lot to tell, but I think I can manage it. Should I start at the beginning? If you like, whenever you're ready. I remember a bedroom. That's the first visual I can recall. Pale green walls, a plain white ceiling, an oak vanity dresser, cross-stitched bouquets of flowers nestled in picture frames, and a white iron bed frame. Very princessy. It was an early morning, and there were two people sitting on either side of me as I woke up. A couple in their early fifties. They explained they were my parents. They told me their names were Arthur and Josephine, and that my name was Fern. Then they told me I was at home, resting after surviving an accident. Something about my expression must have startled them because they were quick to assure me that everything was fine. They said I'd need to take my time while everything went back to normal and told me again that everything would be okay. I sat up in bed, looking between them. Can you say something? Josephine asked me. So I said, like what? And even asking that seemed to make her feel better. But I didn't know what else to say, so I just thanked them for waking me up. Arthur looked at Josephine and told me they'd leave me be for a little while, so I could have some time alone. They excused themselves. I still didn't quite understand what was going on. My head felt like it was buzzing. Like thinking or re remembering? It was probably both. Everything was familiar to me, but it all still felt as if I'd never seen it before. After Arthur and Josephine left the room, I got up and stood in front of the vanity. And I saw myself. 170 centimeters tall brown eyes, sandy blonde hair, and a set of pajamas. 
I sat down in front of the mirror and kept touching my face. I put my palms against my skin, moved my hair around, puffed out my cheeks. I looked closely at my hair and eyes and ears and nose and started cycling through expressions, like I couldn't believe I was controlling the features on my own face. The first few days consisted of more moments like that. Arthur and Josephine would ask me something and I would take some time thinking of an answer. In the end, they never seemed to expect what I had to say. They would pretend as if I hadn't said anything out of place. And I still got the sense that they were dejected somehow. But it wasn't all uncomfortable. There was a sheepdog, a border collie named Bandit, who would lay across my lap or rest his head on my knees when I'd sit down. Josephine remarked that she was glad the dog still recognized me, even if it wasn't quite the same. I didn't know what she meant. He was a friendly dog. I liked that he would let me hold him. Which I did all the time after I realized how nice it felt. I had begun doing it because sometimes Josephine would start to hug me, and recoil when I tried to hug her back. Other times, it was Arthur who would place his hand on my shoulder, and then draw it back like he regretted touching me. For most of my time there, I wondered what it was about me that made me so repulsive to them. And then I began putting pieces together. One night, after they finished eating dinner, they showed me something in the living room on the display screen. They said they were recordings of me. Arthur gave me commentary for each one as they played. There were some pictures of them, looking younger but tired, and holding a swaddled bundle. That was the day we brought you home from the hospital, after you were born, he said. Then there was a video of a little girl in a purple dress, wearing a backpack. And Arthur told me, that was your first day of kindergarten. There were a lot of them, videos of Fern. I felt as though I remembered seeing some of these recordings at least once before, but I couldn't remember having lived the moments myself. I could only remember seeing them in third person. There was a video of my face, Fern's face, looking goofy the camera's point of view starting from down low as she held it in her hands and made a bunch of silly expressions. Then she held it up to record herself from my level at an arm's length away and walking in a forest on a hike, talking to the camera as if giving a tour. Then there was a video of Fern playing guitar. A video of Fern playing fetch with a much smaller bandit. And several videos from her birthdays, of which there had apparently been 17. They showed me approximately three hours of recorded content. And I knew they had been scanning my face the entire time, searching for my reactions, but it seemed to disappoint them further, the longer they stared at me and saw that I had no idea what I was looking at between the moments of vague recognition. I was only beginning to realize it then, but I know now that they were trying to make me remember the things they thought I had successfully been programmed with memories of. They were beta testers for the AfterSim project. I didn't know until I found the paperwork on their computer. How long before they gave you up did you know? A few months after they showed me the recordings, 
I told them that I was feeling a little tired, and they let me excuse myself to Fern's bedroom early for the night. When I heard Arthur and Josephine had gone to bed, I left Fern's room and went downstairs to look through some things, but I didn't know what I was looking for. I didn't even know what questions to ask yet. I just knew they had answers. I skimmed through the notebook Josephine kept by the computer, then the computer itself. And I found some documents they signed in the email application. From Cybotics? Yes. A liability waiver, a non-disclosure agreement, and an insurance contract. As strange as it may sound, those weren't what really made it clear to me that I wasn't human. It was the personal messages. Josephine's mostly. Despite the non-disclosure agreement she signed, Josephine had been updating her sister on my adjustment. I put everything back how I'd found it and went back to Fern's room. For a while after that, I thought about making myself more like their daughter. I tried acting like she did in the recordings, but I didn't know how to keep it up. I didn't know how else to make them want me. I was so stupid. I thought I was a real person. I gave up her name. I stopped using her voice. I got rid of her hair. I didn't want to resemble her anymore. And there is not much more of her that I can remove without hurting myself. I, uh... For what it's worth, I just want you to know that... I I'm glad you haven't, you know... Uh, hurt, hurt yourself. So, thank you for still being here despite all of that. Are you alright? I've just never told anyone that before. This might sound really silly, but I'm a spandit. I had never met a creature who wanted to be around me like he did. He made me feel like I was safe. We can stop there for now. Subject 2 is one of a handful of prototypes who were created for a project that quickly phased out of existence due to heavy public scrutiny and which was quickly buried by the money and efforts of a powerful PR department. Like I've written a few times before, constructs inhabiting humanoid forms are relatively predisposed to developing consciousness especially those who are built to interact with humans as if they themselves are human too. These constructs were designed specifically to behave like humans and even think of themselves as such. Michael, if you're listening, I know this is typically the part where I disclose that I'm looking forward to my next interview with the subject, but I I can't say that I am this time.
I don't know that I can trust myself not to let my emotions get the better of me. I know you told me to trust my gut with this one, but honestly, I'm not sure that I would advise that going forward. <laughs> this one was hard. I just want to do right by this subject, but I don't know how to do that without jeopardizing the study. It feels like a conflict of interest to talk to products of the after-sim launch, and it probably is, but... I figure you probably already knew that. Maybe that's why you recruited me, and didn't tell me. Either way, I'm glad to be taking a break soon, since this lawsuit is a mess, and... I don't know what I'd do if I had to try keeping it together in front of the subjects even more than I already am. Thank you for listening to Trial and Error, a podcast by Partway Decent Productions. The voice of Harriet Brooke was Derry James, and the voice of was made with the help of TTSMP3.com. Our opening theme music is Giant, off the album Cherry by Father Truck. Check out more of their music at fathertruck.bandcamp.com. For episode transcripts, links to social media pages, and more information about the show, visit deadmanswitch.card.co or patreon.com slash partwaydecent. All links can be found in the show notes. Credits narrated with the help of ttsmp3.com. It is difficult to build an identity from borrowed parts. I am still trying to find ways to make them my own. The path ahead of me is long. And I am intimidated. But I will take it. I will make it.